Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backcheck the Hockey History Podcast, where we look at the cases of various NHL players for the Hall of Fame. My name is Riley and I am joined by Bill. Hey Riley, how you doing? Good, how about you? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, and uh, this is an all Detroit episode. Uh, I want to say all Red Wings, but that that's not technically true. Um, <laughs> and our eligible player... Um, this episode is Pavel Datsuk. Um, our recently inducted player is Nicholas Lidstrom. And then it was a stretch finding a Detroit player from way, way back. But we found one. Um, our old timer is Frank Foyston, who briefly played for the, uh, I'm going to, I've already forgotten either the Detroit Falcons or the Detroit Cougars, whoever was first. I think it was um, the Cougars because I think I made some sort of bird joke last time and then it didn't hold up. Yeah, 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 I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. So, uh, as always, we are going to start, first of all, with the case for our uh, our eligible player, Pavel Datsuk. So, he played in the NHL from 2001 to 2016, 14 seasons, all quality. Uh, he scored 314 goals, uh, tallied 604 assists, which makes him the third Russian NHLer all-time. For 918 points, he was plus 249 in 953 games. His average ice time was 18 minutes and 52 seconds, and he had 111.2 point shares. Um, that's his second all-time in assists per game among all Russian NHL players. In his draft class, 1998, Datsuk who was taken 171st overall. Um, and just, just as a side note, Bill, you usually point out that Russians are drafted that low because there was fears about uh, them coming over, but that was in 1998. So I feel like the fear is gone. So I'm not actually sure why he was drafted so low. Oh, it, was just, uh, it was one of those classic Detroit steals where they yeah. knew about some player nobody else had seen play enough and nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he was uh, in his draft class. Sorry? No, no, go ahead. I didn't say anything. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, he was second in goals and assists in his draft class, third in points, and first in plus minus. For his era of the 145 players to play in at least 750 games between 2001 and 2016, Datsuk is 17th in goals, 25th in goals per game, third in assists, fourth in assists per game, seventh in points, offensive point shares, and point shares. Six in points per game and second plus minus, and and just a qualifier there. Uh, that's of a huge bunch of players who play 750 games. That's would have played way less games than a lot of the guys who are ahead of him. But I didn't, I forgot to write that down. Um, he had an 82 game average of 27 goals, 52 assists for 79 points plus 21. His three year peak from 2006 to 2009 was an 82 game average of 31 goals, 65 assists for 95 points plus 38. His possession numbers since uh, 2007 2008, he had a 59% Corsi4, which was the first of all players during that span, a minimum of 500 games played. He had a 5.9% relative Corsi4, which is fourth minimum 500 games played. And we talked about two of the three two of the three players ahead of him who were the Sedins. Um, and they had a 58.2% Fenwick 4, which is first, again, minimum 500 games, and 5.6% relative Fenwick 4, which is fourth minimum 500 games. His playoff numbers, 42 goals, 71 assists for 113 points, plus 34 in 157 games. His adjusted numbers, 356 goals, 670 assists for 1,026 points. His adjusted 82-game average, 
31 goals, 58 assists for 88 points. He is, of course, higher um, when you adjust for era, his, or better, rather. And uh, he's 23rd all-time in adjusted assists per game. And he was traded once, uh, but really it was his contract that was traded, not him, um, for a uh, minor leaguer and a pick, um, you know, after he had actually announced his uh, intention to leave the NHL. Okay, Pavel Datsuk, his accomplishments. Um, as we know, he uh, when Detroit became that uh, powerhouse team for a few years there at the end of the first decade of the 2000s, he, uh, he garnered many, many trophies, and I think a lot of people would have considered him to be the best player in the game at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so he won the Selkie in 08, 09, and 10. He won the Lady Bing in 08 and 09. He won the top five in – he was top five in Hart voting once, top five in Calder voting, top five in Selkie voting a further four times. He was a top ten offensive player by offensive point shares once in 09. Um, he scored 30 goals three times, 25 goals seven times, and 20 goals eight times. He tallied 60 assists three times, 50 assists four times, 40 assists six times. He scored 90 points twice, 80 points four times. 70 points five times, 60 points eight times, and 50 points ten times. He was top five in assists twice and top ten five times. He was top five in points twice and top ten three times. He was top five in assists per game twice and top ten five times. He was top five in goals per game once and top ten three times. He led the league in plus minus once, top five twice, and top ten four times. He was a second team all-star once. He was a three. Uh, he made three All Star game appearances, and of course, he was a KHL All Star twice. Uh, so his great teams. He was a top three forward on one champion, the 2008 Red Wings, and one Final Four, the 2007 Red Wings. He was a top three forward, but he was injured and missed seven games on one runner up, the 09 Red Wings, and he was a role player on the uh, 2002 champion Red Wings. He was a top three forward awarded. A media all-star, but not top three on his team in points on one Olympic champion, uh, 2018 Russia. He was a top six forward by points on one Olympic bronze, that was 2002 Russian team. He was the best forward. He won the tournament award on a world championship runner-up, 2010 Russia. He was a top three forward by points on one world champion bronze, uh, 2005 Russia. He was a top six forward by points on one world champion Russia, uh, that would be two, sorry, uh, 2012 Russia and one bronze, the 2016 Russia. And he was a top nine forward by points on one Gagarin Cup champion, the 2017 SKA St. Petersburg. Um, I feel like we're probably both pretty much on the same page here as regarding whether or not Dexu belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, but if we were to try and make a case against his inclusion, um, because I think we're both pretty damn sure he belongs. Yeah. Uh, we might look at his 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 teams and note that at least if you go by scoring and ice and the ice time to the extent we have ice time in in the NHL teams, he was never played as if he was the best forward on his team That's on true. those Red Wings teams, and he also only ever once led his international team in points. Mm-hmm. Um, a good international team, rather a successful international team, which, which is interesting given how I remember him being, how dominant I remember him being. Yeah. What well, I think with, with Datsuk, um, 
it actually sort of sets the table really well for assuming we're still doing this podcast in 10 years when Jonathan Taves comes up because you're going to be like the body of his work is so much more than the offensive points that you see. Yeah. Influence that he had on the game. Um, you know, how much, you know, especially with a guy the way he had those crazy hands, like you, ha- you had to give him space and there that opens up the ice for everybody else as well. Like a lot of little things that he did. And it, I mean, maybe that goes back to some of the things we've said where you're like, we didn't really see that guy play. So like, if we're just going by stats, doesn't look like you can make a case for him not being in. But I think the three straight Selkies in a row sort of tells you that like, oh, this guy was sort of more than just an offensive player and his offensive numbers are still really good. So, and not just three straight Selkies. He got nominated top five like seven years in a row. Oh yeah, he had to be. I mean, it was until Bergeron started to win a few and Taves started to win a few. It was basically Batsuk yeah. and everybody else. Like he was so so good, it's incredible. If you if you uh, I I I know this this is a really really problematic stat, but if you were to look at um, uh, takeaways giveaways. And that the reason, just as an aside, the reason why that's problematic is because they're tracked by team staff, <laughs> not the league. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if they still are, but they, when I was paying attention to this stuff well, a few years ago, they were tracked by the team staff. So, like, you know, people, guys would come home and, like, have, like, seven takeaways in a game and then go away and have, like, two or one. Uh, yes. just, like um, the, just like the hitting used to be done by the home teams as well. Yeah. Yeah, so big problem with it, but... There was a stretch where, de- like, I I I became obsessed with this like this thing as like some kind of I was trying to c- come up with like a um some kind of like proximate uh, defense forward defense metric, and I started like I was going on uh, going off basketball with their assist to turnover ratio. I was like, let's calculate the uh, um the uh, takeaway giveaway ratio for an NHL player. And I did it for a few years, and I have no idea where that stuff is now. I was somewhere <laughs> on my blog, if I haven't deleted it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I knew it was flawed from the very beginning. But Datsuks was always like 4-1 to one or 5-1 to one or something absurd, <laughs> absurd. And, you know, obviously it was exaggerated slightly. But, like, the next person down in his peak years in, like, you know, uh, what did I say his peak was in, like, 2006 2007 that era when he was scoring 97 points a season yeah you know the next guy on that list would be like two and a half to one or something (laughs) and it was just like i i don't know why i thought that particular thing would approximate defense but i just i i i thought and i so i did these silly calculations and i was just like holy shit (laughs) he literally never gives up the puck and he gets it back all the time (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I remember, you know, during those years when Detroit was very, very good, just watching some other games. And for a, a stretch, maybe the, the 2008, 2009 um, seasons, I, I was living in Japan for some of those. And, you know, my brother would send me these emails from Canada and be like, dude, you have to watch the way Detroit controls the puck. It's mm-hmm. like, Datsu gets it off somebody. They do a whole bunch of stuff with it. And it was like, I don't think the other team's touched the puck in a minute and a half. And then they score. <laughs> oh, my God. So um, so that, that possession style of hockey, he was a huge part of that because he was so good at either getting the puck back or just sort of never getting really beat defensively down the middle of the ice that 
it, it allowed them to just sort of, and I mean, of course they had, you know, our next guy that we're going to talk about Lidstrom to sort of organize things for them, but like they just became so good at retaining possession and that's become such a, an important um, statistic when it comes to who's going to win a hockey game. If we have the puck, that means they don't, you know, like yep. everybody finally bought in when they saw how good those Detroit teams were. And realistically, Absolutely. they probably should have won back-to-back Stanley Cups if Lidstrom wasn't hurt with uh, with half yep. his groin falling off in the in the next year's final that Pittsburgh won on a last-second save that Flurry. Yep. I still think he kind of got lucky on him, but I mean, you know, like it's hard to take anything away from that young Penguins team because they were also really good. But like yep. that Detroit team was. They were oh, I was good. I yeah. in shock that they lost. In I, shock. I think it's just because Lidstrom was hurt. I think if he was healthy, they would have won. I mean, it's. And, and then, you know, it's, they were so good that they still barely got beat, even though they were really hurt. Like, that's how good that team was sort of thing, you know? So, uh, so uh, uh, speaking of, like, as I agree with you, and we've, we've mentioned the, the, that team before and how it, like, changed hockey. And, and um, but, like, one of the things that, and I mean, I, I think, like, I, I loved Pavel Dazuk. I was a huge fan, and I really strongly believe that he belongs in the Hall of Fame because I think his, his uh, combination of, like, um, you know, borderline elite offense and, like, absolute elite defense without, without penal- like, a lot of penalties, yes. which is the really yeah. crazy thing, mm-hmm. um, for a f- forward was just, like, pretty much unparalleled for, for a little while in his peak. And then, like you said, Bergeron came along. Um, but the thing that, like, uh, you know, I was trying to, like, sort of provoke at the beginning with this idea that, like, you could make a case that he doesn't belong is I, I was a big, at the time, I was also a big Zetterberg fan. Mm-hmm. And looking back, though, I, I feel like it was those series that made me sort of, like, switch allegiances from Zetterberg to, um, like, they're both great players, but, like, yeah. switch allegiances from Zetterberg to Datsuk and being like, oh, wow, that Datsuk's amazing. And, but Babcock played Zetterberg more. Yes. And my question is, do we, do we think it's because Datsuk might've already been injury prone at this point and they were trying to protect him, like sometimes happens, yeah. or Babcock just thought uh, Zetterberg was a better player. And if he did think he was a better player, what does that say about what Datsuk's case. Um, I, I, I have uh, thoughts, but what do you think? Um, I, I would say that um, Datsuk was, was a pure center. Um, and often I think would, they would sort of save, maybe save some of his ice time for the inevitable times when they knew they were going to need his, his ability to check another center. Um, so maybe he got matched up against the other team's top center or, um, most offensive player, but not necessarily that player was on the ice that much. So it could have been a case of something yeah. like that. And I think the thing that I think actually would have given Zetterberg more ice time is that sometimes they loaded those two up together. They did, yeah. Um, and and Zetterberg played left wing as well for a long time. People considered yeah. him a left winger, not a true center kind of thing. So I think when yeah. they loaded them yeah. up, Datsuk's the center, but if Zetterberg's doing that and then he's also being the center, I guess whenever they, so I guess they sort of double shifted Zetterberg as needed when they thought one of their other centers couldn't get a, get the job done. And Datsuk was gassed on the bench. Yeah. I think that's maybe where the difference comes in there. Um, I know I always consider I think, it basically just be like, 
one a one b and yeah. then it would flip flop all the time of who was better but like yeah i i think that Suk was a more important player because he was the true center and such a good you know um such a great defensive player and so difficult to get the puck off of like he would just hang on to it forever and drove teams crazy um yeah i, I think it, you're it's right really weird. it's really weird too that when you like if you've seen him play you see like the you know uh, you'll see videos on YouTube and stuff, and it's all of his dangles and his crazy shootout goals and stuff. And you're like, yeah, he has those great hands. But I've also seen like videos of him like teaching little kids in Russia, like this is how you use your stick so the guy can't get the puck off you, or you can always get the puck off the guy. Like the, his stick work is not just dangling with the puck; it's how to keep the puck on your blade and how to get it off somebody else's. And like the stuff that he does, you're like, holy crap, you're really good at that. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. sort of other level. Um, well, I think the. I was just gonna say, I think the explanation of Zetterberg double shifting makes a lot of sense, and I remember him. I remember that happening too. Um, I just, I my other thought was, now that I I experience Mike Babcock as a coach regularly more often than I used oh, yes. to, he also I've noticed he has favorites, and some of those favorites make sense as a fan, and some of them make literally no sense. <laughs> so yeah it occurred to me that um maybe i mean i haven't gone back and watched the series but maybe for whatever reason babcock liked zetterberg more or or thought he was more reliable and less risky or something mm -hmm. and so or or i don't know i have no basis for this but i was so just thinking maybe if he put him out there for a shift he could always come back with that suk and if Zetterberg still had something in the tank. He could leave him out there with that suit. Maybe that was his thinking. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I honestly yeah, like. Or he was. I'm a... not a Detroit fan, and like I said, I was in Japan at that time, so I wasn't watching as much as I as I do when I'm in Canada. So I can't really say what was going on with those teams. Mm. Um, yeah. But I I remember from no, what you... I did see of their careers, just like you know, it, it was always one A one B for me. Just like yeah. I'd see Zetterberg was definitely play. playing left wing on with Datsuk a bunch of times in those playoffs. Yeah, for sure. No, I was just I was just curious because like, you know, I I would I would like to argue that I think in terms of like two-way players that Datsuk was the best of his era. I, but I if you actually that. look at the ice time, you're like, well, that the ice time suggests that no. Yeah, and and the thing is too like it's it's, um, it it sort of sounds like we're saying that maybe that Zetterberg wasn't as good defensively. Zetterberg was, you know, a very good two, like two-way player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's not get that confused, but I think that Datsuk was sort of something special when it came to that regard. I think just that like really different than a lot of other defensive forwards, the way that we think about them. Yeah. Um, I think he sort of, un, un, until, until Taves and uh, Bergeron came along, I don't think anybody sort of played that position, like that defensive forward position the way he did. It's almost like he played it more aggressively than most people did because he knew he could take the puck off people all the time. And the other thing that we shouldn't get confused about is I am talking about the difference of 20 minutes over the course of 22 games. There you go. So I mean, yeah, so I should probably not exaggerate this yes. that much because that is, you know, a minute a game. And... Uh... <laughs> It is entirely possible yeah. that it was just a conditioning thing or just yeah. hat worked out that way or whatever. 
Or it could be like that line's um, going off, but their next center wasn't that good at taking face off, so they left Zetterberg out to take the face off and then get off when you yeah. can. Like who knows what was going on there? So I, I, I honestly, I yeah. think I saw three or four playoff games that year because Vancouver was no good. So <laughs> yeah. once Vancouver was out, I didn't have to worry about anything. Um, and you know, it's really hard to watch games when you're living in Japan because they come on at like one in the afternoon and you're kind of at work. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he, uh, to just talk a little bit more, I guess, about the positives, since I, I feel like I'm focusing on the negatives for some reason. Um, I, I think he was, uh, like, I just, I don't, I remember being kind of just sometimes in awe of him and, uh, of what he was able to do. And also, um, just, I guess I was always impressed by how he was, you know, like it, it, you sort of alluded to when you're talking about, like, we haven't seen a lot of uh, defensive centers like this, but like, you know, the, you can't, when you go back through the Selkies, the Selkies can get kind of ridiculous sometimes. Like who, who won them, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm not trying to um, throw Doug Gilmore under the bus for a second. He was my favorite Maple Leaf back in, in the early nineties, but like he won the Selkie in 1993 scoring uh 127 points <laughs> um there something about that feels you know perhaps um a little i like it, it was more of a like consolation it seemed at the time any or like in 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 retrospect it feels more like it was a a consolation for not being given the heart than necessarily um that he was the best defensive forward in the league of course some people may feel that way anyway but um you know, the Selkie's kind of gone all over the place in terms of who it was awarded to. Sometimes it's awarded to like a competent defensive player who scores lots and sometimes awarded to a really good, a guy who's supposedly really good defensively. He doesn't score very much. Depends on the year. If you go back through them, they're all over the place. But I think one of the things that really impressed me about Datsuk was his ability to do both things. You know, here's a guy who scored almost 100 points twice. You know, he was three points away from scoring 100 points two different seasons. And I don't think if you saw him play, no one is going to sit here and argue that he he was irresponsible in his own end, or you know he he was like he was just to to be able to be that strong offensively, but also that competent defensively. I think is a fairly rare combination. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. And I, I was always like. When I watched them, I was, I was like, I can't believe you can do both of these things very well. Like, it's just, it seems not, you know, it seemed, it seemed, uh, and I feel like I'm glad Corsi came along. Yes. Because Corsi is one of the things that gives you an idea, you know, that, that like borderline 60% uh, possession for his career is just bonkers. Um, you know, that is hard to do. Uh, basically, that means your team has the puck 60% of the time. And that's unheard of, basically. I mean, it's not unheard of in a season, but career-wise, it's like that. that is the gold standard going as we go forward into this world where people's whole careers will have possession stats tracked. That is, at the moment, the gold standard. Yes. Um, yeah, it's uh, hard to say too much bad about him just that the the stat the overall career stats aren't eye-popping so if, i yeah. guess if you see him play or realize that 
or or you just don't take those um selkie trophies uh you know as you know gospel proof of this guy being an amazing player um you're you're sort of left sort of scratching your head as to why was he like a slam dunk first ballot hall of famer again (laughs) you know but it's I, i think it's i think the stats are good enough to get him in but just looking at the stats you wouldn't say that he's like wow that guy definitely belongs you'd actually be like yeah, I think so, but like you, you'd want to take a look at him. Yeah. If you've seen him play, then I think you're way more likely to say, "Yeah, he belongs in for for sure." Yeah. But I think the fact that you can't, you know, he's it's not like you look at the stats and go, "Yeah, but you had to see him play." It's more like if you had seen him play, you'd know that the stats don't make him borderline. He's in. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, in terms of Russian players too, it's like you know, third all time, fourth all time. I mean, he's he's one of the best. Russian players to have ever played in the league. So I think just based on that as well, um, that should probably place him in. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the awards obviously are there and and I'm I'm you know, I'm the like the king of the whole like don't trust the awards voters. Yeah, totally. But in this case, I feel like they did actually get it right. And I as I just said with the Corsi, I think you actually have some evidence mm-hmm. for the people who didn't see him play, yeah. there is actually finally documentary evidence of his ability that wasn't there for previous, you know, two or three time Selkie winners yeah. who are in, um, you know, like, or, or guys who didn't, who only won one, like a guy who we're going to talk about. Um, I don't know, at some point in the future, uh, uh, Craig Ramsey, you know, he got like a, a career memorial Selkie at the very end of his career because he'd been nominated for like every year of his existence, but they kept giving it to Bob Ganey instead. And, and uh, so they just like, when they found out, I think when they found out he was retiring, they gave it to him. But like, we don't have, first of all, he wasn't a strong offensive player anywhere. Like to compare him to Pavel Datsuk is ridiculous because Datsuk was a great offensive player and Craig Ramsey wasn't, but like, you know, all we have with Ramsey are the like the nomin um the various nominations and his plus minus. Yeah. Which is insane, by the way. Um uh, especially for a forward, because you, a lot of the guys on that list from that era are defensemen. Um but like, you know, had had we had Corsi back then, maybe we would be able to look back at someone like him or Ganey and say like, oh yeah. They got it right. Or, well, you know, like below 50% Corsi and they got the award. Like, that's interesting. I mean, what what were they doing that was so uh, damn impressive? We'd need something else. And and unfortunately, we don't have that. But fortunately, with Datsuk, I think we have more information. And then the other thing is if you adjust for era, Mm -hmm. um, which, again, is flawed, but it's it's an approximate thing, you, you also see that, like, his you know he becomes he's already a borderline point per game player but you adjust for error and he's over a point per game and he's you know in the top 25 in terms of assists per game which is you know a big deal given the era he played in i would would say so yeah definitely um yeah well further to your point about uh you know not trusting the awards and that kind of stuff we you also mentioned that uh you know won the gold medal in 2018 I don't think I don't think the gold medal in that Olympics should really count for a career accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just not fair enough. That, I know that's gonna piss off a lot of people because I'm sure a lot of 
uh, fans of Russian players will uh, be very upset about that. Yes, they were the best team at that tournament, but it wasn't a best on best. No. And they still barely won it. And I, I'm, I'm happy for Datsuk actually that he finally got one because he played yeah. so many years and just, you know, wasn't his fault. Canada was walking all over them. And, yeah. You know, the fact that they kept taking KHL guys who, or half KHL guys, half NHL guys who hadn't played together. Yeah. Um, but it's like, eh, I don't know if that one really should stand out as like an international accomplishment as much as, <laughs> as, much as let's say winning the gold medal in, you know, the yeah. last five Olympics when. No, you're absolutely right about that. For sure. Just thought uh, I'd shall we? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, I And I, I should have either put it on a like separate from the other Olympics or put an asterisk there. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking when I wrote that down, but you're absolutely right. Huge asterisks. Um, but, but as I say that, every year that Canada played them, like in the 2010 Olympics, 20, every time they played them in the Olympics, I'm like, oh, I'm really scared of Datsuk. Like, he's going to do something. <laughs> that was the guy yeah. that I was really scared of. So much more so than Ovechkin or Kovalchuk or any other guys. So I, I guess that says something about yeah. how great player he was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shall we move on to Nicholas Lidstrom? Yes, let's do. Okay. Just switching files here. Yeah, this is going to be a long. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, is it is it Lidstrom or Lindstrom? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure everybody in the world has made this joke already, but um, when and I I don't know that I tweeted it. So like I you know when I thought of it, which was right when it happened. If I was the the person who thought of it, which I really don't think I was, then I can't take credit for it because I only they post it on Facebook or whatever. But like with the Raptors, the Raptors, Jesus Christ, the Maple Leafs. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what I'm thinking about? Yep. <laughs> Not hockey. Um, uh, the Maple Leafs drafted Sandine this summer. I was like, oh yes, Mutz is on the team, and I was very <laughs> proud of myself. But I'm sure like someone beat me to it somewhere, and I just didn't see it. Oh well, as, you know what? As long as we get Bob Cole back to announce that. Uh, that'll be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't. What's his name? Is. Rasmus. I can't even remember his real name because I've just been calling him Mutz. Because uh, I just, it's so great. I, I'm not sure either, actually. Um, they should, they should just make sure that they have him on the ice with uh, Matt Sundin and Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Yeah. <laughs> and just have Bob Cole announce it until his head explodes. <laughs> you know what? They'll just all be Sundin because that's what he called the Sedins most of their careers, anyways. Oh, really? <laughs> well, at that's one point they were, they were on the same team, you know. So it's like you just yeah. had no chance. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> I I do I got I gotta say though it sounds like I'm making fun of Bob Cole. I love Bob Cole. He's still one of my favorite announcers, if not my favorite announcer, because I grew up with his voice as the hockey voice. Yeah. He he was able to paint a really good picture. Um, and he just had that classic hockey voice. Um, okay, so Nicholas Lidstrom, now that we're through all the jokes. Um, his NHL career lasted from 1991 to 2012, which is 20 seasons, and they were all quality. He scored 264 goals, which is eighth for defenseman all time, and had 878 assists, 22nd all time for defenseman. Um, Sorry, which is 22nd all-time, 6th for a defenseman, and 1st uh, for a Swede. Um, for 1,142 points, which is 6th for a defenseman, 3rd for a Swede. Um, he was plus 450, 8th all-time, 6th for a defenseman, 1st for a Swede. 
in 1,564 games, 12th all time, fifth for a defenseman, and first for a Swede. He played an average uh, average uh, time on ice of 26:54 since they started tracking that in 98-99, and had a two, uh, 211.8 point share, sixth all time, second for a defenseman, and the first Swede. Um, I might have to stop saying first Swede because I'm assuming he's just going to be the best at all of them. Uh, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> if if he's not, I'll mention it maybe. Um, Lidstrom is third all time in defensive point shares behind only Bork and Stevens. Uh, Lidstrom is fourth all time among defensemen in offensive point shares, and he has the third most offensive point shares among Swedish players. Among defensemen, Lidstrom is 18th all time in goals per game, 16th in assists per game, and 17th in points per game. In his draft year, 1989, Lidstrom is 6th in goals, 1st in assists plus minus and games played, 3rd in points, and he was drafted 53rd overall, which I believe in those days was still the 3rd round. Yeah. Um, now it would be the 2nd round, but I mean still. Uh, he obviously should have been 1st overall pick in any draft year. Um, era, Lidstrom is the only player to play in at least 1,500 games between 91 and 2012. So of the 13 players to play in at least 1,250 games between 91 and 2012, Lidstrom is 10th in goals and goals per game, 2nd in assists, 4th in assists per game, 6th in points and offensive point shares, 8th in points per game, 1st in plus minus, defensive point shares and point shares. I'm just going to interrupt for a second. I yeah. think that was supposed to be 13 defensemen to play in at least 1250 games. Aha. Uh-huh. Because I don't know how he, he couldn't be 10th in goals per game among actual just players. So no, there's no way. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah, be, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll make that 13th, uh, only 13 defensemen. Yeah. Um, I think I'm not sure. Anyway. Yeah, and he's top 10 in absolutely everything as we yeah. expect. Um, his uh, 82 game average uh, 14 goals, 46 assists for 60 points, plus 24, and an 11.1 point share. Um, his three-year peak from 2005 to 2008, he had an 82-game average of 13 goals, 60 assists for 74 points, plus 35, and 27-27 average time on ice. Uh, and 14 point shares. Yeah, so it's like, that's like the sort of like the best possible Carlson numbers. And he was doing it for that whole three-year peak. Yeah. Um, his possession stats since uh, 2007, 2008, of course, 56.1% Corsi four, which is ninth uh, with, with a minimum of 250 games between 2007, 2008 and uh, 2011, 2012. He had a 1% relative Corsi four. You're right uh, there. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Sorry, I just I hit a little uh, snag on my my uh, my browser thing. Um, Fifty-six point one percent Fenwick four, tenth uh, tenth, uh, and it's the same qualifier, and is zero point nine percent relative Fenwick four. Um, his uh, playoffs: fifty-four goals, one hundred and twenty-nine assists, which is fifth all time, for one hundred and eighty-three points, twelfth all time, plus sixty-one eighth all time in 263 games and that's second all time um yeah lots and lots of playoffs for that guy um i think we should take one of his goals away from him for klutze though but (laughs) (laughs) um his adjusted 286 goals 918 points which would be 16th all time 
um, for 1,204 points. His adjusted 82-game average would be 15 goals, 48 assists for 63 points. His adjusted points per game, Lidstrom is not in the top 25 for all-time adjusted points per game if the qualifier is set to 1,250 games. He would be in the top 25 if the qualifier was set to 1,500 games, simply because only 18 players have managed that many NHL games. And of course, he was never traded. All right. Uh, his accomplishments. Uh, he won seven Norris trophies, which is uh, second most behind Bobby Orr. So it was in 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2011. Bill and I are both of the opinion that one of those, at least, he shouldn't have won. Yeah, I think it was, um, the, I think it was the 2011 one when he was, when yes. he was at minus three. Yeah. Um, he won the Conn Smythe in 2002. He was top five in Norris voting another six times. So that's 13 if you're counting. Uh, he was top five in Calder, Calder voting his first season in the league. He was a top five player by point shares once in 2008. He was a top 10 player six times, um, 2000, 2001, 2003, 2006, 2007. He was the best defensive player in the league by defensive point shares twice in 2007, 2008. He was top five six times, so add 1996, 2001, 2003, 2006, and 10. And he was top 10 14 times. So also 1992, 1998, 1999, 2000, 2002, 2004, and 2009. He scored 20 goals once. He scored 15 goals nine times, one of only nine defensemen ever to do so. He tallied 60 assists twice, one of only 14 defensemen ever to do so. Uh, 50 assists six times, one of only nine defensemen ever. And 40 assists 16 times, one of only two defensemen ever, Bork being the other one. He scored 18 points. 18 points once, 80 points once, one of only 18 defensemen ever. He scored 70 points four times, one of only 12 defensemen ever. He scored 60 points nine times, one of only seven defensemen ever. And he scored 50 points 15 times, one of only three defensemen ever, Bork and Coffee being the other two. He was top five in assists three times, top 10 five times. He was top five in assists per game once, top 10 three times. He was top five in plus minus five times, top 10 six times. He was a first team all-star 11 times, first team all-rookie, uh, in his rookie year, and he was a second team twice. He has 11 all-star game appearances. He was the rookie of the month twice. He was a monthly third star once and a weekly third star twice, which is kind of funny. There's only three of those or two of those. Man alive. Um, okay, so we'll get to his great teams. He was on many, many good teams for most of his career, so uh, this is going to be quite the long read in terms of teams because they're usually kind of short. Um he was the best player, i.e. won the MVP on one champion, the best team money can buy, 2002 Red Wings. Um, <laughs> it was before the cap for any kids who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally went out and got a bunch of aging Hall of Famers to force themselves to one more cup before that team fell apart. Um, and then by the time the next lockout was over, Datsuk and Zetterberg were ready. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was the best skater on one final four, uh, the 07 Wings. He was the best defenseman, led the playoffs in plus-minus on one champion, the 98 wings. He was the fe- best defenseman on one champion, the 08 wings, and one runner-up, the 09 wings. He was the best defenseman by points and plus-minus on one final four, the 96 red wings. Um, a top two defenseman by points on one champion, the 97 wings, and one runner-up, the 95 wings. So, yeah, many, many cup finals in there, and he's far and away the best defenseman on pretty much every one of those teams. Um he was a top two with question marks defenseman. Um, 
a media all-star, but his partner was given the best defenseman award on one Olympic champion, the 06 Sweden team. Do we know who his defensive partner was? Uh, yeah, somebody hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember right now off the top of my head. I should have written that down. Um, let me see if I can find out for you while you're okay, reading the rest I'll, of them. I'll keep going, yeah. Um, probably somebody good, but just not like Lidstrom good. Um, yeah. He was a top two defenseman by points. Of course, on one World Cup semi-finalist, which would have been 96 Sweden, the old 1996 World Cup in Montreal and Toronto. Was it Toronto? No, it was... Uh, what, what are we talking about? The 96 World Cup, were they all... Oh, all that was... Montreal? I, I think don't I remember... Montreal for the final. Oh, yeah, because 2004 was split between Montreal and Toronto, I think. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, sorry about that. Um, That's okay. Uh, best defenseman by points on one world champion, the 91 Sweden team. Top four defenseman by points on one world champion bronze, the 94 Sweden team. And he was possibly injured on one world championship runner-up, 04 Sweden. All right. So you, the answer to your question is Kenny uh, Johnson or Johnson. Oh, Kenny Johnson, yeah. yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Now, he was, he was we're both. Islanders. Yeah, I mean, he was a good player but like also the idea that he won he won the the best defenseman award um i presume maybe he outscored him and that's why uh, or, or maybe or maybe they're just like wow kenny Johnson's playing awesome <laughs> yeah yeah kenny <laughs> they're just like covering one eye and pretending lindstrom is not his partner for that particular <laughs> series um so i mean i think you know, the the question, obviously, there's literally no doubt that Lidstrom belongs in the Hall of Fame because, yes. like, if he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, who does? Exactly. It's, um, otherwise, it's it's or it's or Hull Gretzky and Lemieux, and then we have to shut the rest of the thing down, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like, yeah, you're just like, you're, what, you're going to have, like, six players in the Hall of Fame? And even then. But the question, you know, I think that, I mean, I'm not sure we can answer by any means. I, I know we can't. But the question that is, I think, of interest is, is he the second best defenseman of all time or the third best or whatever? And, of course, if you go by Norris trophies, he is the second best defenseman of all time. Yeah. Um, Norris trophy wins, rather. Um, but both of us are, you know, we as we've talked about this in the past, if you're wondering why I know this, that we both <laughs> sort of think that Lindstrom didn't deserve one of his trophies. Yeah. On the other hand, um, a number of years ago, I I went through all the Norris's up through like 2015 or something or less or 2014 or something, and and tried to like see who should have won. And I believe I definitely docked him at least one, but I feel like I might have added one too. Yeah. Um, I can't really remember. Anyway, I should have looked at that before tonight. Uh, clearly, but uh. So what do you think? Uh, you know, do you have a, a gut feeling about it? Do you have a, like, if you had to create a ranking of, like, the best, like, five defensemen, it's, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say because I, I did see all of his career, and there's some guys I only saw sort of the tail end of their careers who I think were excellent, excellent defensemen. Yeah. Um, I would put him, I, th I think he's a lock for the top five. Um, yeah. You know, he he played he played hard but clean. Like he was never yeah. a big hitter or anything, but he didn't really shy away from physical stuff, but he was never dirty, which, uh, which I have big admiration for. 
Um, he could do everything on the ice. He could, you know, he could, it's not like one of those guys where I'm going to get 65 points, but I'm going to give up a few ones where a guy walks around me. That didn't happen to Lidstrom. Basically, he was one of those guys, uh, you know, like an Orr, but obviously to a lesser extent, because Bobby Orr is Bobby Orr. Um, but a guy like, uh, you know, if you're, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest Ray Bork fan, but he's probably in the conversation for top five for me. Uh, but the kind of guy who, like, when he's on the ice, your team's in great shape. You're going to have the puck. You're going to be doing the right things. And if you turn the puck over, he's out there, so you're okay. Like, yeah. he's that kind of guy, like, just makes everybody around him better, makes his D partner way better. Like, Brian Rafalski, before he went to go play with him, was a fine offensive defenseman. And when they played together, you're like, wow, they are really good together. <laughs> like, you know, it's like he, he improved everybody around him. Um, uh, kind of like, I guess this is a weird comparison to make, but he's like a rich man's Andre Markov um, and Habs fans out there will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, just every defense partner they put him with was like instantly played so much better. You're like, wow, that guy's actually okay. But like, yeah, cause he's playing with Markov. <laughs> yeah. He's not good. Uh, he makes everybody he plays with way better. So in that respect, I think he just definitely deserves to be in that top five. I didn't see any of um, Denny Potvin's career, so that's kind of tricky for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, you know, the the later half of Bork's career in detail, so I missed a lot of what he did in the 80s, except for, like, the last, maybe the 88 Cup Final and, like, then the early 90s. I started to watch way more religiously and um, – well, based on what, you know, what, what games we could get back then, because he didn't always get to see every game, but yeah, I mean, so, so maybe I'm underestimating his greatness a little, or he's just not my favorite player, but he, you know, he definitely belongs in the conversation. And then you get, I don't know. Um, Harvey. Yeah. Doug Harvey, of course, if you're going to go way back. Yeah. But again, another guy I didn't see play, although uh, from every old timer I talked to, he was the, he was the guy before Bobby Orr. Um, yeah. And then, I, I'm not sure who else we, we would really look at. I think. Well, Eddie Shore. Brian Leach just based on stats because he had some crazy seasons, but that was a very high scoring era too. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Coffee, I wouldn't consider because I just sort of consider him to be a one dimensional defenseman. Yeah. And I, I like my defenseman to also be able to play defense, but then that probably will, would eliminate Leach to a certain extent as well, even though I think he was fine defensively. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's, yeah, it's tricky, tough. but I think out of all those guys, I'd say Lindstrom's like the guy that I would be like. There's no way he's outside my top five. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I feel similarly. I uh, I actually did while you were talking. I went back and found the little thing I did, and actually, I no, I docked him three of his trophies. Apparently, uh, <laughs> I don't uh, I I don't remember. Like one of them went to Zubov, and I I don't remember uh, who else. Um, but like, he's still, he still finished in the top, like three or four players in terms of total trophies. Um, yeah. cause a lot of other people docked, docked like Harvey did too. Um, and uh, I gave a bunch of his to Tim Horn. Um, but I mean, I don't know, right. Like I was just like, it was a, it was a little, uh, I was playing around with stats for fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the one thing I would say with Lidstrom is, is that in his later years, you know, there was sort of that unwritten rule of like going easy on him uh, physically. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know when that started. Um, and so I think that if, you know, if that only started in the last couple of seasons of his career, like, then uh, I think, you know, that that's great. 
uh, that it's not, I mean, whatever that's, I'm glad that people were being careful not to hurt him. Um, on the other hand, if it was like for half of his career, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, well, the, the thing is too, though, like just because I, I think he's, he's one of those guys who moved the puck so well. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, some of those guys, like it's very rare. You'll see Carlson get like absolutely crunched. Cause yeah. he moves the puck before he's going to get crunched. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah so it yeah. could be a lot of the, like, he's actually so good. He doesn't have to take hits very often because yeah. he's always getting rid of the puck. And he's smart enough to like when somebody's coming barreling into the corner, either let that guy go in first and then take the puck off him or, you know, brace yourself properly or move the puck and then get up against the boards. Like I don't ever recall seeing him get like just absolutely run over. And I, yeah. I'm sure people must have tried. I mean, especially earlier in his career when he didn't have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people must have been taking runs. And the NHL was all that for like the latter half of the 90s. It was just yeah. all try to hurt everybody. So, yeah, I'm sure he didn't yeah. get away like that. I'm sure that unwritten rule was like a, a late, a late yeah. thing, like a little gentleman's agreement or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's really tough, especially as I feel like I'm a broken record, but especially without ice time prior to the late nineties, it's really hard to know, um, you know, uh, beyond like Bobby Orr, um, who was really the definitive, uh, you know, best defenseman of a particular era, unless you're willing to take the awards at face value. But I think with Lidstrom, you know, everything we know about him uh, from watching him play and from the, the awards and, and from his importance to the, so many good teams, both, uh, both in the NHL and internationally, you know, it's, I think he has a case you could, I think you could say, you know, you can't necessarily prove it, but you could say, yes, I believe he's the second best defenseman of all time. And, you know, people wouldn't laugh at you. Exactly. Um, yeah. They might, they might argue with you and, and especially older guys who maybe saw Pavin or really older guys who saw Harvey or, or uh, I don't know if anyone's still alive beside you. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or guys older than that, like George Boucher or, or Harry Cameron. But yeah. I mean, that's going way too far back, but um, you know, I think it's, it's, I agree with you. I, I can't really imagine a, a list of the top five defensemen in NHL history without him on it. Yeah, and so, um, I mean, if, if, I, if you're, if you're a Habs lover and you want to include the, the you know, the big three, Savard, Lapointe and. Uh, oh, and, Larry Robinson. How could I forget Larry Robinson? Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I mean like it's, it's, it's easy just because, we don't, we, we didn't grow up, you know, I, when <laughs> my memories of Larry Robinson are like him being on the 89 Canadians and scoring like two goals a year, just, you know, but still being on the team. Cause he's that kind of guy. Yeah. Just stayed around forever. And was, you know, but I mean, like there were defensemen of that era who, if Bobby Orr and Pot Van hadn't been around would have won more trophies. And so we don't, but we don't know anything about those guys. Like I'm not even saying Pot Van was definitely second all time or Bork was definitely second all time. And I saw half of Bork's career. I should be able to say more about him, but I'm just like, I'm not really sure with Lidstrom. I'm like, yeah, I think he goes into my top five conversation immediately. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I think he was just, he was phenomenal. And uh, you know, he was, I think a lot of what, I think you could also say fairly definitively that he, that his sort of style of play helped in many ways, you know, in some ways change hockey in how unbelievably calm he was. Yes. And, you know, 
I think you even said earlier, he wasn't flashy. Mm -hmm. He just did everything right. And like, I I can imagine if you were an NHL general manager or coach and were playing, you know, watching your team play against Lisdrum and lose in particular, but just in general play against Lisdrum, you sort of would be thinking like, how do I get one of those guys? You know, like these, these players who play like, what did you say? What did we say? 20 at his peak, he was playing 28 minutes a night, basically. 27 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, and, and for the course of his career is playing 27. So he was barely more than his career average, um, you know, playing 27 minutes a night, um, contributing to the offense, but like not in a way that's going to expose his team and, and just doing every, making all the smart plays all the time and, and, you know, never really being caught out of position and, and, you know, it's like, like the platonic ideal of, of like somewhere not not an offensive defenseman, not a defensive defenseman. I know he scored eighty points once, but like, generally speaking, he he was not usually the you know, the leading point scorer among defensemen in the league. He was, yeah. um, you know, he was sort of just uh, in between there. Like he was uh he was very very sound defensively, and he was very sound offensively, and. Yeah, he was just uh, a phenomenal player. I I don't have anything else to say about Lindstrom other than uh, he was pretty uh, pretty great to watch. All right, so let's talk about our our stretch uh, on this theme. Uh, Frank Foyston, who uh, briefly played in Detroit and not illustriously, so it really is a stretch. But we wanted we wanted to have a theme episode again, so. Um, so Frank Foyston, um, his career in the NHL uh, was two seasons, neither of which were quality by our modern uh, standard of 0.5 PPG. Uh, he scored 17 goals and seven assists for 24 points in 64 games. Um, for the uh, his era, he of the six players to uh, six players, sorry, 35 years of age or older, to play in at least 50 games between 1926 and 1928. Foyston is second in goals and points, first in goals per game. Assists per game, points per game, and offensive point shares, and fourth in assists, and um, also uh, fifth or second last in point shares. So, depending on your standard, he was one of the best old players for two years. Um, but uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what the standard what standard that is. Uh, he did not play in an NHL playoff game. His adjusted numbers are hilarious: thirty-one goals, forty-four assists, four seventy-five points. He was bought into the NHL when the WHL folded, and he was sent to the minors to end his major pro career. I believe he played senior for a while afterwards. Um, his NHA numbers, uh, he played for three seasons from 1912 to 1915. Uh, he also played one additional game at the beginning of the 1915-16 season. Two of those seasons were quality. Uh, he scored 37 goals, 11 assists, which is possibly as high as 19th all-time for 48 points in 56 games, which is maybe as high as 20th all-time, but unlikely. Uh, if the qualifier is set to 40 games or two seasons, Foyston is as high as 22nd all-time in goals per game, 12th all-time in assists per game, and 23rd all-time points per game. He had a 20-game average of 13 goals, 4 assists, 4 17 points. And if you remember us talking about people like Malone and, and Lalonde, uh, that is significantly less than their 20-game uh, averages. Um, 
Pacific Coast uh, Hockey Association, where he played most of his hockey. He was in there from 1915 to 1924, nine seasons all quality. Uh, his 174 goals is second all-time, 53 assists is ninth all-time, 227 points is fifth all-time, 204 games is probably fourth all-time. The qualifier is set to 82 games, voicing his fifth all-time in goals per game, 13th all-time in assists per game, seventh all-time in points per game. His 30-game average is 26 goals, 8 assists for 34 points. I did not calculate a three-year peak because it's too complicated. His playoffs, 8 goals, 1 assist for 9 points in 12 games. He skipped out of his NHA contract to play in the PCHA. That's how he got there. He then went to the WCHL uh, because the PCHA folded from 1924 to 1926, two seasons, neither quality, and he retired partway through the second, though he eventually came out of retirement to play in the NHL. Uh, he scored 12 goals, 8 assists for 20 points in 39 games. He had 30, uh, his 30 game average, 9 goals, 6 assists for 15 points. I wrote 50 for some reason. Uh, playoffs, three goals, one assist, four, four points in seven games. So significantly worse than the PCHA. Alrighty. So, um, his, uh, accomplishments, no NHL accomplishments, no NHA accomplishments, uh, PCHA. He led the PCHA in goals twice, top five, seven times, top 10, probably eight times, all but one season he was in the league. Um, he led the PCHA in goals per game twice, top five, six times, top 10, probably eight times. He was top five in assists at most twice and top 10 as many as eight times, but possibly fewer. Um, he was top five in assists per game as many as two times, top 10, maybe five times. It's really hard to tell. Um, he was top five in points seven times, top 10, eight times, all but one season that he was in the league. And he was top five in points per game seven times, uh, top 10 at least eight times, and he has no WCHL accomplishments. He was the probably the best player by points on one PCHA Stanley Cup champion, the 20, uh, 2017, 1917 Metropolitans, and one PCHA Stanley Cup finalist, the uh, 1919 Metropolitans, who, of course, uh, that series was canceled due to Spanish flu, which killed Joe Hall, so uh, there was no uh, decision. He was a center at the time when there was only one center on a hockey team on one NHA Stanley Cup champion, the uh, 1914 Blue Shirts. He was a role player by points on one WCHL Stanley Cup champion, the 1925 Cougars, the last non-NHL team to win the Stanley Cup. And he was also a role player on the 1926 Cougars who uh, did not win the Stanley Cup, but uh, almost did. Uh, be back when the NHL and the WCHL were fighting for the cup. So, uh, Foyston was obviously uh, one of the great PCHA players. Yeah. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think the question is how much weight you put on the PCHA over everything else because it, his other, um, his other. Uh, stops in, in the yeah. pro leagues were not as illustrious. Mm -hmm. You know, the NHA was okay, well, fairly good, and then the WCHL was not good, and the NHL was not great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's hands down one of the best PCHA players of all time, but, like, why was he, you know, unlike, unlike someone like Lalonde, who went every league he played and he was a star, yeah. this guy was a star in one, basically. Yeah, basically, he went out there and, um, you know, they, they sort of had that little that little West Coast league that won a few Stanley Cups in the uh, 
in the 1910 to 1920 era. Um, I guess, I, I don't know, for, for a player like that, I think I don't have really a problem with him being in the hall because he was an important player in an important league before it became the, the NHL hall of fame, the way yeah. that, you know, I would like to see it. But yeah. to me, like if we're going to do the hall, the way that I think it should be parceled out, a lot of players who just make the cut would probably not be in the hall of fame. A lot yeah. of players who have, have gotten in like Tretziak and Makarov and players who accomplished most of their awesome stuff in the international thing would be gone. Um, they'd have a separate wing for the women's players and possibly for some international players to acknowledge them, but they'd but like, they're in the, they're in the double H I double IHF hall of fame. If you want to see all their stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I think I would have the, all of these guys who, you know, basically played in the NHL before the NHL was like the only hockey league. I would have them strictly in like a builder's category of they formed the early game of hockey. They were mm-hmm. so important. We have to put them in. But also maybe kind of like with a little asterisk, just sort of to know we actually can't like the stats are so bad. We just have to kind of go on how legendary the guy was, but we're putting him in as a builder because he helped form the modern game of hockey sort of thing. You know, that's how I would ideally like the Hall of Fame to be. And then yeah. in this case, because, you know, he won a cup, he was, you know, uh, led in points on that cup, um, you know, was one of the best players in the PCHA for many years then he he gets in as a builder because he was an important player in that sort of era where you know if, if the leagues had all folded at once maybe there wouldn't have been any modern hockey who knows right so uh, yeah well and as i've said in the past you can't blame the guys in the teens exactly. for picking the wrong league yeah. no one had any idea no. what oh, was yeah, going to happen you know to, to go to move all the way out there and play hockey like he probably got paid a boatload of money to move up there and play hockey. So why wouldn't you have said yes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, if, if things had happened differently, maybe the PCHA or the WCHL becomes the, yeah. Um, you know, the, the dominant league instead of the remnants of the NHA. Yeah. Um, it, who knows? So, I mean, it's hard to blame them. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not on the same page with you about the, the hall. I'm fine with being a hockey hall of fame and not just an NHL hall of fame. But like I do look at somebody like Foyston and I I wonder because and 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 so I, where I am with you is this builder idea of maybe having some of these old timers off in a special area mm-hmm. where like you know had, had Foyston come in like we talked about someone else and I can't remember their name right now who was like either a PCHA or WCHA star who came in in his late thirties in the late twenties and like did significantly better than Foyston did. Oh yeah. Yeah. For and, sure. and I was just, I can't remember which player it was, but I was like totally on board with him being in the hall because like he came in and like among 30 something year olds, he did very well. And Foyston did all right among 35 year olds. He was quite old, but like, um, in fact he was, he appeared to be the best 35 year old in that particular sample I found. Um, but like I, I put it at 35, had I put it at 30, it probably would have looked a lot less impressive. Um, and, you know, it's not his fault that he played outside the NHL for so long. But, like, I, I look at, like, the lack of success in the WCHL, which was not necessarily on a par with the NHL at that point. Yeah. And his, like, his okay NHA career. Yeah. Like, and I think, like, uh, I don't know. You know, he was not among – he never – 
was a league leader in the NHA. Yeah. Um, and he was never a league leader in the WCHL. So he was quite old by the time he made the WCHL. And I just, I'm, I'm not saying like, get him out of here, but I'm also, I also feel like if someone came along and wanted to be like, you know what, Frank Foyston, no, doesn't belong. I'd be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like had he led the NHA or, or been a top, you know, in the uh, top 10 category in the NHA, like once or twice, I would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. But the fact that he never was. Yeah, well, um, you know, that, that's the thing. We have so little information about that time. He could have been injured. He could have been, yeah. you know. Did yeah, he, he didn't play full seasons for sure. In the coal mine. Like, we have no idea what was going on at that time. Yeah, no, he definitely he didn't play full seasons. He played only 56 games over three and a bit seasons. So that's, yeah. he definitely was not playing all the time. Yeah, and so that's got something to do with it. Sure. Or he had a real job. <laughs> was yeah. Amateur playing, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. that I, I think that's why that builder category would be so, like, important or just, like, because um, I, I think they do have a builder category and, like, they're, you know, they're, I think they're putting Batman in for crying out loud. Um, yeah. They do have a builder category. The game, those guys should be in, like, a different, like, these guys actually built the way the game is played and, like, kept the passion, you know, played for played for not very much money and kind of, you know, uh, formed the way that the league would be one day and like how important those guys are. I think that'd be a really cool section of the hall of fame that I'm sure, you know, a whole bunch of young kids probably wouldn't be that into, but like, I think yeah. any, anybody who's really into the history of hockey would thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. And I think they could, they could probably do a really good job with that and just move a lot of those guys. Like you don't take them out of the hall of fame, but you just put them in a new section where they're not with, players where we can really quantify the stats and then maybe a guy who like was an absolute superstar like Lalonde or yeah. um you know yeah like i'm guys, like you sort of leave them in with the, the other guys like this yeah. guy was dynamite you know i was gonna say i'm dying on the hill that Lalonde belongs in the hall of fame and same with joe oh, Malone. Yeah, yeah absolutely like, i'm dying you get no argument from me there yeah, it's yeah. just i'm just saying like maybe you take a lot of those guys where we're like who yeah, maybe those guys all go into like these men built the game and have like little stories about them and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like then, this, you know, like yeah, like guys like this, like and 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 Jack Walk. Well, Jack Walker was worse than Foyston, but like some of these other guys who just like they never, like there are there's a group of guys who I think I think you're right are in due to legends or due to a particular fact or something that helped build the like story of the early game more than anything else yeah. and yeah i think they don't necessarily belong in the in the main yeah the main wing where like it's like these are the best players ever because like okay. it's hard to look at like foiston and be like this you know unless you're of the opinion that the pcha was of the level of the nha and then the nhl which yeah. may well have been for a time mm -hmm. um, it's hard to look at him and say this is one of the best players of the era you know, yeah. he was one of the best players in PCHA history. Yeah. Uh, but once you like, once you do the per game stuff, yeah, it makes him look worse. Um, and I mean, he certainly has nothing on Cyclone Taylor. Like, yeah. If you look at Cyclone Taylor's PCHA numbers, he's the best player in PCHA history. In case you didn't listen to that episode, uh, I mean, is there's no comparison. Yeah. Um, I mean, and and so it's easy with Cyclone Taylor. With this guy, it's like, uh, I mean. You know, I think it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's more of a like important part of the early history of the game, but may maybe doesn't belong as one of the great yeah. hockey players ever.
Yeah, you know what? I, I would maybe um, I was trying to think of something other than builders because they already have that category, and it's like for general managers, coaches, uh, you know, um, refs, commissioners, refs, that kind of thing. I I would I would actually maybe do like a pioneers of the games. Yeah, thing. yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. and then I would I would also have players where yes, they're in the hockey hall of fame, but like you sort of make it clear that it's because of their contribution to the international game. Like, yeah. I, I would, I would like some clarity on that kind of stuff, but that's maybe that's yeah. just me. Um, well, yeah, you know, no, I, I, no, I, I, I hundred percent agree with yeah. you. Well, I mean, like, is, uh, you'll, you'll probably be the guy to be able to answer this for me. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's not, but I don't think Paul Henderson's in the hall of fame, right? He's not. And a lot of people have pushed for him. Thank, to be by it. the way, thank science. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I don't know, like to, to, to me, it's like, well, if you're going just based on how important they were to international hockey, then some people might want to put them in. And I can see why they would, because other guys have gone in just based on how important they were to international hockey, Tretiak, Makarov, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if Harlamov's in, but he probably should be if that's, if those other guys are, um, and you know, some of those players. So it's like, well, I, I would like for Paul Henderson to maybe get to have a little ceremony being in NHL, but you have to be clear. It's not, for his NHL career, it's for what he did internationally, like how important he was to international hockey in that. So I don't know. I feel like some of sometimes those distinctions have to get made of like, maybe this guy's not going in as a player. He's going in as a, you know, star of the international game or something like that. But yeah. I mean, some people would feel like it's, you know, you're just, you're slapping a label on it. So you feel better about putting the guy in. I'd rather just kick them all out. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I, you know, we agree. We disagree about this. I, I, for one thing, I think like there's no comparison between like Makarov and Henderson. Um, and, but I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that like, I'm fine with commemorating like Henderson's like, you know, particular well, moment of do. glory. Yeah. They already do. Yeah. That's, that's all fine with me. But like the idea that, people want to put him in the in the hall for example yeah like i that drives me crazy because like he, he did not you go look at his nhl career uh, not you specifically bill because i know you you know but like just anyone who's listening look up paul henderson's career and there are people who legitimately think this person belongs in the hockey hall of fame which is weird well it's because... just because he played such an important role um, i know and, and, but, and you know but the thing is too if you look at Tretiak's NHL career, I would argue that Paul Henderson's NHL career is probably a little better. So. Yeah, well, no, that that is true, and and I agree with you too that they need to, you know, th this is not an organization that tells us what criteria they're using, and it would be nice to know. Yeah, you know, um, but what would actually be really cool is if they got together with the International Hockey Hall of Fame and made like, you know, expanded the building or made a, like a second location in Toronto or something that is yeah. like this is for the international game and this is strictly like NHL stuff and yeah. you can go to both and it's like a completely different day. Um, yeah. I think that'd be really cool actually, but you know, and, and it's, it, it's hard cause it's, it's hard for me to say that too, because I, I undeniably know that had Tretiak and uh, Makarov been able to play their entire careers in the NHL, I'm pretty sure they would have been the hall of fame. I'm less sure about Makarov, but he came over pretty late in his career. Well, it was the. I think you could safely say that he was the best forward outside the NHL for a decade. Yes, I would. So you got to figure he's going to make the Hall of Fame, right? Like, yeah, you would figure yeah. he's. I guess depending on what team he ended up on, but I mean, he's 
it's kind of like a lot of people would say that about a guy like uh, Hawk and Lube, you know, like he's so yeah. good when he played in the NHL and then he, but he only played a few seasons and he left and yeah. just never came yeah. back. And it's like, you knew he was good, but he just didn't have the NHL yeah. criteria to make it in. Yeah. So, you know, that's it. You get into a sort of a gray area there and I'm not sure that I have a perfect solution for it, but I, I kind of don't like the way it's been done so far. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe that's, and, maybe I mean, that's something they could solve one day. But. I would like more transparency. Oh yeah, I mean, too. personally, you know, because like, and we do get into these sort of weird, you know, debates where, you know, I'm more open to the inclusion of, of certain international uh, players anyway. Um, but I don't know what the criteria is even for NHLers. So. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's one of those things too, where then we get into that, you know, like the, the PCHA thing, like, yeah, he was, a, he was a good player in the PCHA for many years. Like we don't know that much about that league. Like no. even now it's very hard to measure the, I, we, we know the Swedish elite league is very good. We know the KHL is really good, but it's kind of a weird league. Like it's, you would think like all those Russian players are so skilled and talented to be really high scoring. It's actually really low scoring. Yeah. Well, yeah it's super low scoring because it's that European ice. And to me, like the international game on the European ice is a completely different game. Um, some guys thrive at it. Like they're so good internationally and you see him play on an NHL rank. You're like that guy can't do it and vice versa as well. There's guys over here who are dynamite and they get on that big ice surface. Like, Oh, that guy can't skate that well. He's getting exposed with all that open ice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, I, I like to differentiate between the two games. Um, yeah. I consider one to be European hockey and one to be actual hockey, but that's true. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not making any friends in this episode. <laughs> Include. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things where the, if the hall were as strict as I think you and I would like it to be, then I think we, we'd have sort of a, a narrow window where, where we could say, this guy can only be in under this category because we're not putting him in as a player because that's reserved for greatness, you know? Um, where Yeah, I think you could do it all over again. I Definitely. Think, yeah, I think yeah, there's sure. there'd be different standards for sure. Absolutely. And a lot of it, I mean, I, I think I'm I'm likely to like, uh, <laughs> I, I would, there were the, a lot of the people I would be exercising would bother more older people because I think like, you know, like I said, I'm fine with voice and being in, but like, it's, it's just, uh, um, you know, it, it's there, there's guys like this from back then where, as you've said many times, it seems like more that they were just going by the stories when they were, um, convening the hall initially to put guys in and like, yeah. whether or not people remembered them playing then, then like looking at, how they compared to say their contemporaries or anything like that. Cause you know, like, I mean, this guy was like, you uh, like we've talked about this guy was one of the better players in the history of the PCHA. Um, yeah. But like that's it. And th that guy's in the hall of fame. And then I wouldn't be surprised if I, if I just called up the, you know, the, the list of them right now that there's a guy somewhere between Taylor and Foyston on one of the all time lists for the PCHA who's not in the hall. And we don't have any idea why. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody remembered him. Yeah, no one remembered him, so they forgot him, so they didn't induct him. And you're just like, well, that's kind of frustrating. In the paperwork. That's probably yeah, yeah. yeah. So um uh we were we've resolved to to actually remind everyone what we think of everybody before we uh, sign off. So uh Datsuk, yes yep. or no in the hall. Datsuk's a yes for me. 
Yeah, me too. Absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lidstrom, obviously, I mean, I don't, don't even know. Yeah, we don't <laughs> have to ask. Um, and then Frank Foyston. Uh, I, I would say yes, but as like a pioneer of the game, because we just don't know enough. I don't think it's enough to kick him out, but I, if if we could invent a different section to put him under, I'd be like way, way more in favor of that than just putting him yeah. in the I, I agree with you. I, I think more of a historical, like, you know, played in, 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 uh, in all four of the early leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something. Yeah. But <laughs> and was really good in one of them. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Anyway, um that is all for this episode. Uh thanks again for listening. And as usual, we haven't figured out who we're gonna talk about next time, so we'll figure that out and then let you know when you tune in for that episode. So thanks again for listening and uh we will see you next time. Take care.